listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Barbara Rockman, teacher, award-winning poet, wife and mother, whose passion has long been to encourage others' creativity and to believe in her own and all voices, especially women's voices. Barbara, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's it's wonderful to have you here. I was particularly intrigued, I think, by the idea of creative writing, building community, but building self-confidence. There are people, of which I am definitely one, who have very little confidence in their poetic ability. And and your focus is is very much on how creative writing and poetry in particular build community and self-confidence and self-knowledge. So how does it do that? How, how do you help make that happen? I think that uh, we are all wanting to share our stories with a community. And that's probably the beginning of any creative writing class that I teach is creating a sense of safety where the group in any room can witness each other and listen to each other and um, whatever the story, whatever becomes a poem out of a story is something that's applauded by the others in the, in the same space. So in that way, I think um, once we're heard, we feel better about ourselves. We feel like we're part of the human family. And uh, I think poetry can lead to that. But um, why poetry then? Because you're right. A lot of people like to be validated, to be seen, to be heard, so that they can share their story in community. But why in the form of poetry specifically, as opposed to visual art or prose, what is it about poetry for you? I think all the art forms are powerful means of building community. But I, I think for me, um, the intimate place that one goes into oneself in the smaller context of poetry, smaller in that um, it's a smaller form on the page, it's a very crafted form, so much language has to be Um, removed in order to get to some kernel of something that is very emotional and very powerful. I think in that journey to get to that um, deepest truth, um, something very special happens. Um, and, And all the engineering of the poem, the architecture of the poem, all the aspects of craft, Um, metaphor, rhyme, line breaks, all of those things that we as poets, um, that's our toolbox, um, become this structural um, way that we play. And we get to talk about that with each other and support each other in 
um, honing something to its deepest, pithiest, most beautiful place. Tell me something, and this is a very personal thing. Tell me something about the line breaks. And I'll, I'll tell you why I asked that question, since you mentioned metaphor and rhyme and line breaks as a tool. Because there are some times when I read poetry, and I really am, I, I, I don't want to say bad at poetry, but this, this is something that I'm, I'm learning and something that I'm exploring and trying to, try to get to that kernel, I guess, of, of what it means. Sometimes when I read poetry, I think, you could have just written this in one paragraph. <laughs> Why, you know, it, what's, the, what's the role of a line break? And what's the, what purpose does it serve other than to say this is a poem? What's the, what's the tool, what's the essence of the line break? That's a great question, and it's been asked by lots of people. Why couldn't this just be a paragraph? It's a sentence. Why not just put a period at the end and make it a paragraph? Um, it has to do with time and space. It has to do with breath, with a pause. Lots of people interpret the line break as a place to take a breath. If it's a stanza break, some people say that's several breaths. And so the poet is, in some ways, a choreographer. They're creating on the page a map that the reader can follow. And it slows you down in certain ways when there's lots of white space. Mm. It speeds you up in other ways when the lines are very short and you go rapidly hurtling down the page. So it has that, um, yeah, that, that ability to uh, create time and space. I think that I've, I have two of your books here, Sting and Nest and To Cleave. And I, there were a number of poems that, as you're talking, made me think about the, the way that, not just breath, but the, the tempo, particularly the composition with brass and wind, mm -hmm. which is in Sting and Nest, the way that it's almost done is in an almost chiastic structure, um, but then moving very particularly at the end of the poem, sort of whispering away, steadying, ho or heading home, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so for you, it's almost an, a visual art form as well as a linguistic art form. Well, it's said that, and I believe this is true, and I, I do this as a reader, that the first thing that you experience is the visual on the page. You open a book of poetry, and there there is this thing that has black marks mm. and white space, and that's your first response. So I think it's important. It's fascinating to me because I guess I still have a very childlike, simplistic notion of poetry being that which rhymes, yeah. that which goes on the page. But it's not that at all, is it? It's much more, as, as you were saying, that that journey into our deeper truth, which is not necessarily just uh, clause rhyme, clause rhyme. It's much more about that expression, which can't be necessarily put in a rigid form. Would that be correct? Well, it is true. And yet um, they say that formal verse, like the sonnet or a pantoum or a villanelle, which are all extremely popular in um, recent decades, um, because of that structure, they allow the writer to have a certain sense of safety mm. because they're within a framework. So some theories are 
that with the structure, with the rhyme scheme, with the strict rules that you're obsessing with as you're writing, you are allowed to go into something, a deep trauma, a difficult cultural moment, something that's very challenging to write about because the structure creates kind of a home for you. So it's an interesting, you know, and then there's free verse, which mm-hmm. is mostly what I write, which is much more fluid and um, seemingly unstructured. But but definitely not unstructured. Not, not to me. No. <laughs> but I think that's, that's, uh, that's really powerful to hear because the structure can also hold the reader, can't it? Absolutely. Um, especially with a challenging topic, with a personal topic, the way that it's laid out on the page can, I guess, embrace the the individual who has to face this challenging poem? I think that's true, yeah. I think this is fascinating. So what what brings you to the world of poetry? Why is Barbara Rockman a poet? <laughs> what What's your journey, your path to becoming a poet? Um, well, I always like to write. Um, and I wrote in high school. I wrote when I was a kid. My dad, who was a physician, was also a poet. Uh. Uh, beautiful writer, actually. and um, But I went into theater as a major in college, and I, was, I directed plays and stage-managed plays and ended up uh, teaching creative drama and then moving into arts education where I ran programs that supported arts in, in the schools for many, many years and um, returned to New Mexico over 30 years ago after having moved away briefly. And a friend invited me to go to a writing workshop. And I hadn't been writing really, maybe keeping a journal a little bit. And one thing led to the, to another. This is uh, 31 years ago. Mm. And I ended up getting an MFA in writing at the ripe old age of 43. Hey. And um, I had two little kids at home and I just barreled ahead with this newfound passion and uh here we are so decades later what's the journey that you're on as a poet because it seems like from having read these two really very moving and sometimes challenging books the sting and nest and and to cleave it seems like there's a journey um that you're going on personally and and as a poet so maybe the question is about styles themes practices what what have you done as a poet how is it how has you being a poet changed over these last few decades and where's it going uh that's a very good question um there's always so much mystery in this journey which is partly why i love it but um i would say that that the books that i've written and the one that's in the works right now are my personal journey my way of asking answering questions that are being asked of me how do you how do you sustain a marriage how do you uh, balance motherhood with uh, the challenges of wanting something personal and that you're passionate about as in becoming a writer i got my mfa when my kids were very little um and so the books are that, and threading through them always is the natural world and the cultural moment, which I can't not mm. address. And so these first two books were very much family-oriented. This next book is 
very much my own personal longing to find a sense of the divine, of faith, of um, where do I belong in this grand scheme of things? Is there a God? Am I a Jew? Am I not a Jew? And I have a whole kind of colorful history of um, two Jewish parents, but um, one who definitely veered from her Judaism. So um, there are poems in this next book, Me Standing Under the Stars with My Australian Shepherd. There are quite a few of those poems, actually. (laughs) And it feels like we're looking to the universe for answers. So it's a very different book, very personal, very vulnerable. Um, Yeah. We need to take a pause. You've opened up another avenue here, which is the spiritual aspect of prayer. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I wonder if we can um, explore the spirituality of poetry uh, and poetry as prayer. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. And my guest this evening, Barbara Rockman, teacher, award-winning poet, wife and mother. And we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Barbara Rockman, author of Sting and Nest and To Cleave, um, really extraordinary poetic works. Before the break, you were talking about your journey as a poet and how it's leading you to questions or to answering questions that are being asked of you, which I would describe as prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, is the essence of prayer. Um, the the call, in some sense, if I can get biblical for a moment, uh, God calls to Adam at the very beginning of Genesis and says, Ayeka, where are you? And, and um, Abraham Joshua Heschel and other commentators, uh, but particularly Heschel in the 20th century, say, that is the call to all of us. Where are you in the universe? Or as you said, in your words, where do I belong? So I guess my question is about the spirituality of poetry, especially because you teach a class called Poetry as Prayer. So what did, how did that evolve? What does that mean to you? Um, hmm. I think, you know, when people say to me, what's your spiritual practice? I say poetry because I am asking questions. I'm sitting in stillness. Mm. I'm meditating. Um, I'm making myself available in some way to, I mean, it sounds maybe a little woo-woo, but whatever, um, whatever voices come through me, call it your subconscious, call it dream, um, intuition, but in that way, I, that's how I, I think I see prayer, is just entering deep stillness and making oneself available to um, the wind, the trees, the songs of the birds, the dream that you're pondering, um, the voices 
all around you, whether it's a child crying or a husband getting ready for work. Or, you know, it's all part of some great mix that I find myself in. And as a poet, I try to understand myself and my world that through all of that. Is the role of poetry then to answer that question, or is it to make note of the journey? Uh, are there answers? I don't know. I mean, it's this endless quest, I think. It is the quest mm -hmm. that is, and it is the journey that is the the actual joy of being a writer. If there weren't any questions, we would stop. So... And, and so this question, essentially, of, as you said, of where do I belong, changes, I would suspect, with every single encounter. And so, therefore, is the question, is the answer to the question not the ultimate answer? Here is where I belong, end of. Is the question, where do I belong now? And is the answer, therefore, different in every moment? Absolutely. And changes with every decade of our life. I mean, I'm in my 70s now. It is clearly a different answer than it was when I was raising young children. Um, where do I belong? It changes every hour. <laughs> so then, since you mentioned since you mentioned raising children, your email is mother poet. I won't give the whole email. Your email is mother poet. So, and, and since you've mentioned it a, a couple of times, Clearly, motherhood has impacted your writing life. How is it? What's the effect of motherhood been on, on, mm -hmm. on your poetry and your writing? Well, my first book is filled with poems that struggle with the, the challenges of being a creative person and raising children. So there was that. You know, how do I find time for myself? How do I maintain my own voice when the voices of all these all these two daughters, uh -huh. two fantastic, wonderful daughters um, who are now grown in their 30s. Um, so that balance was um, important to me. And the other thing that is extremely important to me is supporting women's voices. I think um, women, whether they're mothers or not mothers, are silenced in our culture and many cultures. So I think that was a journey for me to sustain a sense of my identity through um, motherhood. Now it's changing. Um, I have a daughter who's about to have a child, mm. so I'm sure there will be those poems. The grandmother. <laughs> the grandmother poems. So for those who may not have experienced it and may not be aware of it, when you're talking about the silencing of women's voices, what experience do you have of that or what does that mean to you? Because it, it's obviously essential today to call that out, to challenge it. What is that silencing of women's voices that you, that you refer to? I mean, I grew up surrounded by strong men, wonderful men, really. But um, it was clear that women were sidelined in my family. It was the 50s. My mother was a housewife. She allowed that my father was the strong voice. And um, 
And I know many, many women who have grown up that same way, but I also, I've been teaching poetry for over 20 years, and um, I have taught a class at the community college that is called Women Right to the Heart. And inevitably, every woman has a story mm. of how their partner stole their journal or um, somebody said to them multiple times, you don't matter in so many ways. And um, I taught at, the, at Esperanza Shelter for five or six years, and the, um, the women who were there who were victims of domestic violence were the ultimate example mm. of women who have been silenced. And when they were given a journal and a pen, they couldn't believe their good fortune. And then when they were encouraged to write, they would applaud each other, literally a circle of eight women sitting uh, in their pajamas in the morning, writing together. Um, the celebration of women supporting each other is, through, through writing is extraordinary, really. Let me ask, as a man, is it my place to help celebrate or is it my place to be quiet mm -hmm. while others celebrate? Women's voices in particular. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I say celebrate. Celebrate away. <laughs> we need all of it. <laughs> right. And so I think that's helpful. It's helpful to hear. And obviously you don't speak for all women, just as I don't speak or behave for all men. But, but in your experience that... For me, part of you being on the show is actually celebrating your voice, um, your your wondrous poetic voice in, in these books that challenge and guide and open up and reveal, I think. When you spoke about the vulnerability before, how vulnerable can, I was going to say, can a person be, but maybe can you be without necessarily sharing all your vulnerability on air? Is there a line? Is there a limit? Or do we where's the where's the point of relationship with the reader and relationship as the poet as the author whereby you say i share this much of myself mm -hmm. but i can't share more is there a line oh of course there is i think that's a very personal decision and books many many books are being written now about childhood trauma about domestic violence about uh gender-changing situations. Um, people, uh, the black experience is being written about. Many, many books about the Jewish experience um, and the challenges of being a Jew historically and presently. So it's a very personal thing. And some poets are writing about the natural world in a way that's celebrating something very different and very tender and beautiful and others are ripping their souls apart and writing about very hard things that happen to them in their lives so yeah it's a it's a question it depends from poet to poet <laughs> poet no, to yeah, poet definitely so tell us you you mentioned some of what you're working on tell us tell us a little more about that uh, okay let's see well I'm just kind of finally putting together a group of 
60 to 70 poems that address this quandary of who am I standing out under the stars with my dog? I mean, that's truly how it all began. I wake in the night, I go outside, um, there's this spectacular array of light and my beautiful, faithful shepherd leaning against my hip, kind of as a spirit animal, honestly. And um, I think this is a late-life journey of coming to needing um, some context for who I am in this big, beautiful, terrible scary world <laughs> i i love the way and obviously i haven't read this work yet but the way that you say who am i standing out under the stars with my dog is a th at least a threefold relationship it's the relationship with the self it's the relationship with the world and it's a relationship with the other as represented by your dog but but a dog normally has a, a very intimate relationship are we owners are we you know, carers are with, and dogs, because I'm a big dog fan, dogs are, are very loyal, very loving, and so on. So to me, it's a, it sounds like a very interesting work because it's, it's showing that threefold relationship mm -hmm. of the relationship with the self, the relationship with the world, and the relationship with the other. In the last two minutes, <laughs> what does that mean for you in terms of relationship with self, the world and the other, how do they connect? I'm exploring that. I, that is exactly what I'm exploring and, and searching for. And the one thing that seems to be happening is that there is a yearning to meld with all things, to meld with the trees, to meld with the sky, to become one with um, all beings, all qualities of air and light and weather. So that's been an interesting and I guess I, I guess at the end of our life when we when we return to the soil, we do meld automatically, but it's almost like a it sounds like you're saying there's that yearning to do so beforehand while we can appreciate that melding. Is that right? well, it's it's wanting to understand what might it like be like to be a tree? What might ah. it be like to? Uh, be a coyote what might it be like to be the wind i mean that's the some of that is inching its way into some some of my recent poems i i really find that fascinating because obviously you have the challenge of of in some sense you're projecting deliberately but in some sense you don't want to project because you want to explore the essence of the thing as you have in in so many of your other poems to try to to explore what's the reality of that moment and, and where are you being called in that moment. So I really do appreciate this. I, I look forward to seeing this next work. I, I genuinely do. Thank you. And I really appreciate you sharing this idea of poetry as spiritual practice, um, because I think that can be very empowering for many people who are listening to, who may be turned away from uh, traditional spiritual religious frames, mm -hmm. who might actually hear what you're saying and pick up a journal and a pen and, and in safety, which mm -hmm. is really important, in safety, be able to, to take that and explore what it means for them to, to ask the question, where do I belong? So... So I really, really appreciate you 
being on our show today. So thank you to Barbara Rockman, to uh, teacher, award-winning poet, wife and mother. Thank you for being on our show today. And I really hope you'll be able to come back in the future and, and share more. And maybe next time we'll take a, a deliberate reading of some of your works and we'll, we'll explore them as well as a, a little bit more about what does that mean to, to be in relationship with the self, the world and the other. Thank you. I'd love to return. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.